Welcome to Dialogue Out Loud Interviews. I'm Jennifer Quist. I'm the fiction editor for Dialogue, uh, located in Canada, and happy to be joined today by Brian Habermeyer, Willie Morris, and Wes Turner, all of whom have contributed recently. Uh, Morris and Habermeyer were winners in our um, fiction contest, and Wes Turner just tells a dang good story. <laughs> And you fit with us thematically tonight, so I hope you don't um, mind being lumped in with a bunch of winners. Uh, so to make some introductions of our guest, William Morris is a, a familiar name to um, Mormon literature. He is the current president of the Association for Mormon Letters, uh, busy planning his conference for later in the month. Don't miss that. Yeah, that's in April of 2023. He has a new book out, um, Dark Watch and Other Mormon American Stories, um, and has also edited and collected The Darkest Abyss and Monsters and Mormons, uh, Mormons and States of Deseret. So, uh, yes, lots of uh, publications in this particular area that Dialogue uh, lives to serve. Uh, happy to have you joining us from Minnesota tonight. Uh, Ryan Habermeyer is the author of the short story collection, The Signs of Lost Futures, and he teaches literature and creative writing at Salisbury University of Maryland. And Wes Turner is with us, an uh, MFA graduate from BYU in 2018, uh, who is focusing his studies and his art on the relationship between God and wonder, and he relies, uh, resides in the Salt Lake Valley. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so um, I like that you're all together because for me, these stories read as a collection, kind of a accidental, serendipitous one. Um, but they, for me, as someone who was involved in the curation of them, they speak of identity out of unity. Well, or, or, or rather, identity in and out of unity and uh the the feeling of finding oneself uh finding god finding the the, the zion fellowship uh, in the traditional mormonism and exploring that through these creative writing tellings that are um are a departure in our genre i think uh, we've, you know, have these excellent uh, AML um, lectures you can listen to on YouTube about all the various phases of Mormon literature and how it's developed. And without giving too much away about our, our panel at the AML conference, William, um, things are starting to move away from some of the creative tropes we had in Mormon fiction with um, the kind of minimalist realism, the the Raymond Carver Mormon writers, you know, that we've had men, mediocre men telling their mediocre stories where um, women stand for things instead of being characters uh, and where the identity is just kind of assumed as this um, masculine Mormon Anglophone American subjectivity. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. I'm glad to be part of it. We've had some don't get me wrong, we've had some beautiful literature in that subjectivity, and um, thank you so much for, though you are all in a demographic position to indulge in that, you haven't in the things that you contributed to dialogue, and I'd love to talk about them uh, with you. Um, how to juggle the three of us 
uh, the three of you. Um, let's start with uh, Wes, uh, Wes Turner. Uh, you wrote the the shortest one and the one that's not part of the, the contest, uh, but one that really caught my eye for being uh, so very different. Um, a theme that we're used to seeing coming into dialogue a lot, um, something that people are really experiencing and having a hard time expressing um, in ways that are that are fresh and that go beyond that masculine anglophone American subjectivity. Uh, so thanks for yours. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you just want to give us a, a quick sum up of it? It's it's very short. Is it what like twelve hundred words or so? If if that, it's a pretty tight piece. I I am jealous of my my co my co writers today because they uh, they seem to go for a longer than that a couple paragraphs, which I just don't have the time to spend for. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a brief piece. It's a it's a sort of retelling of. Uh, you know, an inherent reader who has left Zion and, and is grappling with sort of the mundane realities of living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. So um, uh, this one for me was interesting because, and I may be, however I read it might not be the way you read it yourself, but it seems to be situated uh, in the same place most of our Mormon literature is situated in, in that intermountain uh, area either inside or outside the chiefly uh, Elias communities there um, so it's a story with the same place for me but just such a different take on it like I don't I don't know anything about how dry it is or the canyons or the wildlife or any of the, the very good nature writing we have that comes out of this area um, is that the place I mean like I don't want to do the whole decoding the author's intention here but did you mean to put it in the same place with a different eye or what did, yeah. How, how did that happen? Where, why did you choose the setting here? Yeah. I, um, I, I like the, you know, I, I say that my interest is sort of this idea of wonder. And I think a lot of that comes from absurdity and from putting together things that are not supposed to be together or that are not intuitively together. And so for me, the, the place is hopefully universal. And, and I think some of it feels like Israel, some of it feels like Middle America, some of it feels like, you know, Mormon Utah. <laughs> um, but the idea of having a, a biblical narrative against this really mundane suburban setting, for me, that that tension between two familiarities or two two tropes uh, is, is what was exciting for me. And hopefully universalizes it a little bit, makes it a more, yeah, a broader okay. uh, that's what we're all going for isn't it universal um but uh place can i need can i interject? do you mind if i interject joe you, one of the things i noticed with your piece west when i read it um you know you're talking about absurdity and these sort of incongruous things it reminded me or it made me think it's like a like a mormon bartholomew piece like it has that kind of donald bartholomew feel to it this ridiculousness in but the, the, the juxtaposition, I thought, was really fascinating and really uh, startled me in, a, in, the, in the best of ways. And you shouldn't dismiss the fact that it's short because I feel like the compression is way more difficult to pull off, uh, almost like a poem, right? As, as opposed to, uh, you know, a longer short story, you get so much room to breathe and expand and sometimes babble on. Um, the compression of it's really great, too. Yeah, and I would... I would um 
I, I also noticed kind of the same dynamic where I felt like I could read it as potentially just, you know, suburban Intermountain West or more universal than that because because it's both supposed so so specific and both and also so biblical. So it also could be like a telling for biblical times, but using modern language where I even thought it could potentially be somewhat post-apocalyptic. And so, and so it has these kind of little glimmers of potential world building that are very specific and very kind of jagged. Um, but, but it doesn't land in any specific setting, which I think it makes it all the, all the more interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I, I yeah. Go ahead. I, I'm just honored to be compared to Bartholomew. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you earned it with it. You know, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, uh, I was reading it and I was like, yeah, this is, this is a cool Mormon Bartholomew piece. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think we're kindred spirits in that regard with a, uh, an affection for weirdness and that kind of absurd sort of thing, um, which I feel like sometimes Mormonism feels really absurd. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I feel that very deeply. And I have felt that since I was a kid of kind of just like scratching my head sometimes. And I, and I don't use absurd in that sense or weird, like a pejorative sense, because to me, weirdness and absurdity is at the heart of being a human being. So yeah, it's uh, it was a delight to read. And, and that comes through in, in your own piece too, Ryan. Um, in where you talk about the uh, the testimony meeting that your letter writer is describing to the prophet, to the current prophet, um, and the strange, the bizarre stories that are coming across the pulpit at this testimony meeting, which are at once really weird and also very familiar. So when you say later on in the story, um, what, how do you put it? Repetition is the first law of heaven is what your letter writer says at one point. I really like that. And then the repetition that he actually refers to are these weird, crazy, apocryphal, three Nephite, Jesus is an alien stories. So the weird, the weird is repetitive in the church. And it's just such a, such a turn on that weirdness to make it like, but actually, you know, this is how it is. There must have been grocery stores or something like it in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what were they like? Um, yeah, so I think this is a, a weird way to start the series. And yeah. Well, well, strangely, strangely, I did not have to make up. Uh, I think I only made up one or two of those testimony stories. The rest are things that I've been told from friends, from siblings, from relatives, you know. So, I, and I don't know what to make of that. Like, part of me, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're just wild, crazy you know, sort of uh, folkloric Mormon stories that you hear. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. and, and and folklore is really huge for me as a writer. You know, it's something that I'm really interested in, both Mormon folklore, but just folklore writ large. I'm just really interested. So the, the kinds of oral history, the oral storytelling that gets passed word of mouth and obviously testimony meeting, but it's often where those kinds of things can occur. So, but yeah, I, I did make up all of those. A lot of those are, are true, or at least were told, I guess I should say. Yes, they, they have a ring of familiarity, yeah, um, and they stand out that way. Uh, uh, since we're on um, Ryan's story, uh, would either of you like to give him your reaction? 
I, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. Anyways. I think all three of these are interesting in the way that the, there was a magic in them. There was a, 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 a surreality to each of these stories or a surreal component. And I think certainly this calls this idea of community and, um, you know, being part of a community being out, out of a community since we're through each, but I think also this idea, like parsing out what is reality, what is delusion, what's illusion, what is faith. I think that, um, I think there's so many beautiful lines in your story, Ryan, that are like the yearning and the desire and the longing is so palpable and, and the reader is, is sort of confronted with this tension of like, which, what of these things is admirable, which of these things is beautiful and which, which deserve scrutiny and like mental health services. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was well done. Thanks. William? Yeah, I wanted to ask about sort of the framing of the story this way, the the way that you do with with the letter to, to present to present Nelson, um, because earlier you could have related um, these these the, this in a, in, a, in a different way and still told these these anecdotes about the the boy Jesus, the right. Jesus boy. Um, why why take make the frame that way and 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 um and what 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 do you think it accomplishes by by taking that approach that's a good question um <laughs> it was well, it's a good question i mean I, to answer it there's there's a there's a practical answer and then there's a more conceptual one the practical one is i found as i've been writing longer and longer that it's become easier to get out fiction pieces when I frame them as in a nonfiction form, you know? So like the letter, there's a, there's a facility that comes to it with, with the writing process itself. You know, when you say this thing is, is a, is a nonfiction form, I don't know what it is. There's something that's just taking place in my head that it just allows for an easier writing process. And I think we could probably all agree that when your writing is hard enough, and if you find a trick that makes it easier, that by all means keep doing it. So that just it just helped to to frame it as a letter, and it, it wasn't originally as a letter. I had written it as you know more like a traditional kind of uh, narrative, just a short fiction piece, but it didn't feel right. Um, it didn't feel like I had the voice, and that's where the conceptual part comes in, right? That I, I needed to capture that sense of voice and. I wanted to capture the unreliability of narrator as, you know, a guy that kind of knows what's going on, but also doesn't quite know what's going on. You know, I, I, I love unreliable narrators and I thought that this kind of unreliability with it presented as a piece of nonfiction that had that believable quality, but at the same time, it's clearly fiction, um, that that was a nice balance, but being able to capture the voice, you know, the, the letter really helped me get the voice and. I'm more interested in voice than I am in plot most of the time. I'm more interested in how the person sounds. And so it didn't click until I put it in the letter form. And it's it's a it's a, a brilliant choice. Um I I also I totally know what you mean. A bunch of the, the stories on the Darkest Abyss, Strange Mormon stories, my my latest collection are come in forms of reports or um uh you know, dialogue where you just have the dialogue going back and forth or just various different uh, forms. Specifically with this letter thing, um, it does help with plot in the sense that it allows for 
the unfolding of specific plot information, the plot information that you do have, um, to occur in not quite a random way, but in a way that follows kind of the stream of consciousness of 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 the writer, but still because it is a letter, have an audience in mind. And and um, I say this as someone who has read a letter like this to the prophet, <laughs> which someone when I served a mission in Romania, someone sent um, uh, uh, an older man that we were we were we were visiting uh, sent uh, a letter that eventually found its actually found its way to uh, the first presidency's office and was translated from Romanian into English, and then of course turned back right around and returned um, back to the mission that eventually came back into our hands. Because we were the new, we knew the individual, and um, and it has that rhythm of someone who sees these things and makes these connections that and relates these things that have some grounding in reality, but obviously is a little, maybe a little bit weirder than than the reality the rest of us are experiencing. And so, um, I just I, I really like the way that you kind of unfolded the information as as we proceed through the letter. And I like that the letter, the letter, the voice allows things to be glossed over too. That that I have submitted to me a lot. Like you could have, as William points out, you could have told this in other ways. We could have gone like you know half by half, basket by basket through the basketball game that you refer to in the story, but we never get to see. We could be involved in the drama of a pine wood derby, which is an American term for this. It's not called that in other parts of the world, but but I think people pretty much know how those things unfold and that kind of realistic walk through them has been really well covered already. And the fact that you can talk about that world with these things preserved in it and still important in it, but then with just this, this freshness of um, images and references i love that wiley coyote was in this uh that was great great american there wiley coyote um paired with this beautiful road runner from the middle east here um and it was it, your story was kind of like a a retelling of the joseph smith matthew translation in the pearl of great price from the point of view of this desperate person on the side of the road and yeah i liked it a lot thank you yeah, that's another one of the nice tricks with the form is that you can you can breeze through a lot of stuff quickly, like almost anecdotally. You know, you can just move through fast, summarize some things because earlier drafts had, um, you know, earlier drafts were framed as like fast, just the basketball game. Or I think just the Pinewood Derby or I had a couple other frameworks for it, but I realized that I didn't want to frame it like that. I just wanted this told, like more of a told story, just like someone gushing out, confessing almost, um, to make it, to make it work that way. So, yeah. It seemed really new. And so for me, yours was like, you know, the, the small town sports drama story, immigrant out of water story that I see a lot in my submissions and Wes's was like, uh, the disenchanted missionary story that I see a lot that is really real. A lot of people want to tell this story and I can't keep publishing it. I can't just crank this story out over and over and over again. I need something to move us forward. Uh, and Wes's story was like that for me because you have that sense of 
um, a struggle with identity of calling out in the wilderness, being a prophet or a missionary, but just in this scene, like we, you know, like I personally have never seen before um, in this area of literature. So, so what do you think of that? Have you guys retooled old tropes? Or did you have those in mind at all? Uh, Ryan says a little bit. Um, what about you, Wes? Or you can react to that too, Ryan. Go ahead, take over. Cool. Well, I've I've seen here that, and and well, I believe here that uh, the trope that you did not identify in my piece was the queer Mormon experience, which is what I feel like I was <laughs> revealing. So hopefully, I said that in a new. Yeah, I I I felt that too. Yeah, and and that's something that's that's generally people want to write for dialogue about i think it's an excellent venue to have that kind of fiction but i'm having a hard time finding it because what it usually comes across in uh in the form of um the the typical mormon man anglophone protagonist i keep talking about who meets the magical queer person who doesn't care about their own problems but is more than willing to step forward and solve all the problems for the the, the protagonist and this one, yeah, because of the, and it does feel universal to me in a lot of ways. Maybe it is because of the biblical spoke. Uh, because of that, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not queer myself, uh, but I do write queer theory and I have queer family members, and I would hope that they would feel included by this. So what exactly for you um, makes this that queer kind of text? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's my access point. I'm I'm a queer uh, former Mormon, uh, Mormon adjacent, mm-hmm. Mormon, and uh, yeah, I I feel like a lot of I'm not I'm not I don't have the whole corpus of queer Mormon literature memorized, but it it feels like a lot of it is that the reward is a relationship, and I think that that is um, I think the real loss that occurs in that transition or in that. De- Difficult space is reconciling two identities that are oil and water, and that the real reward, the the actual gift of embracing queerness, is not a related, not an external relationship, but a, a better relationship with yourself. Um, and so, with that orientation, I think, like, yeah, it's a huge loss. I I just think like the boundaries of community are are inevitable, uh, and I don't think we often see space for the loss, especially in a queer perspective of of what that community offered that you're leaving behind. And that that is the loss. That's why it's ours. And we do have a lot of burying of queers in Mormon literature that does engage with that. It's, you know, that again. So that's the only loss we're experiencing. We're missing all these, all these other things that you brought. Beautiful, thank you. Any reaction, um, my other panelists? Well, I was struck by this idea of 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 this notion of Zion calling Zion the city of lightning, yeah. um, because lightning is both illuminating and intermittent and searing, and I think a lot of us feel, um, whether queer or not, that our identities in relation to the church, in relation to um, the broader culture, in relationship to the struggle of 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 expressing themselves creative, creatively, that that we're always both searching for and hoping to avoid the strikes of lightning, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Nice food put. And let's get to you, um, William. 
<laughs> Thanks for, for waiting here. Um, you had the first prize story from the dialogue fiction contest called The Ward Organist. Um, and it's it starts a little conventionally, you know, we don't have the the rambling um address to the prophet on the side of the road or the uh apocalyptic Sodom and Gomorrah in modern time. We have someone learning to play the organ at um at church. But I'm glad it's included with these other panelists because I think it a- approaches identity and identity within the what's set up as a traditional Mormon family in much the same way, um, and that it isn't it isn't binary. Um, it it should be more descriptive than it is prescriptive. All these things are are in your story about um, a single um, Mormon woman. And you've written this point of view before, and you've written it for me at Dialogue, and you're really good at it. Uh, this is a really hard thing to do, to write outside your own identity. And everything I've seen from you and my short tenure here has been right on. What is it about this character of the single Mormon woman that draws you in, and how do you connect with it so effectively? Um, so first of all, thank you. Second of all, just one correction with this particular story. You're you're absolutely correct um, in your observation about writing uh, that I tend to uh, well, uh, oftentimes write from the perspective of of, of, a, of a, a female. Uh, Did I a Mormon character female when it's not? So Did I? if we look closely, this is this is why it's in first person. Um, the at least the. the the gen- the g- gender is is not specified at all, and that is and that is um, intentional. That um, that the idea was um, so. Th- this started as a science fiction idea, um, and um, then I realized that um, it it really I didn't want it to be. I wanted it to be more literary than that, and just for the because because then I because re- I realized it was a. A pandemic story, which also I was swore that I wasn't going to write, but I'm sure a lot of writers are saying that now. And um, and and so there was going to be more going on with angels and than what just happened. And 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 as I got into it, I realized that no, what the story is about is is hopefully a story about what it is like to be lonely and um, active, or at least somewhat active in the church. Um, and that it shouldn't specify which gender we're talking about. It could be a, a, a female, male, or or, or non-binary. Um, well, you totally got me. I yeah, and, it's because the last thing I read, and he was female point of view, maybe because of yeah. my point of view, maybe because yeah. the woman she was learning from. See, I'm still calling her she. <laughs> yes, and so and so we'll say that that the main character, and so that and that's and then that's obviously how it also ended up in first first person, and. Um, and and it really just comes out of the fact that I've met a lot of amazing single uh, Mormon members in 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 my time uh, active in in wards and um, and my wife and I didn't have children for quite some time as well. That that also has an interesting dynamic to it. And so I just I wanted about. Does God have some compensation for anyone who who isn't like the the perfect 
model that, that gets held up? And if so, of course, what those compensations might be, and 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 that has to be kind of weird because that's just kind of the way my my mind works. And so that's how we ended up um, with with the story. Um, yeah, and in, in terms of being able to write from a, a, a female perspective, I, I think I it it comes from two places, really honestly. One, I've had a lot of amazing um, women in my life. Um, it, it, you know, f- across all the dimensions of my life that, that I'm active in, um, or, or that I participate in. Um, and the second thing is, is that I read a lot of fiction that depict women. I read romance novels. Um, I'm a huge fan of, um, of a lot of the 19th century female authors, um, as well as obviously the 20th and 21st centuries as well, but especially the 19th century female authors um especially uh, edith horton um and and so that is just a perspective that i've always even when i was younger even as a teenager was just in and so sometimes it just when i sit down to write something that's that's what i what i turn to and what while we're on the personal with you do you play a keyboard in I do not. I um, I learned to play the recorder for a year in elementary school. <laughs> um, what a coincidence! <laughs> but I have uh, um, recently, just over the past eighteen months, begun to um, play around as a, as a secondary hobby because writing couldn't be my only hobby because I was kind of growing a little bit crazy uh, with just doing writing and work, and um, I began to play around with making electronic music. Um, so I can't read music, and I can't sit down and play anything, but I, I, I do make some sort of music, and it's it's so been great. Who, who told you that a piano and an organ are are completely different instruments? Then that's a quote from your story that uh, the teacher tells to the narrator. You remember that? I do. Um, probably my mom. Because my mom I, is a, a plays piano, um, and, but all has also learned to play organ. Um, so yeah, it probably comes from there. That struck me as a really apt comparison for being married and being single in the church, perhaps. Um, that yeah, it, we talk about how we're all doing the same thing, all in the same community, but a single person is playing that music, something completely different, really. Um, with it when it comes to their their family uh and i don't know what that is uh but it's this kind of it helped me uh put that into some kind of perspective and the debinarizing of of everything of all kinds of identities and in, in terms of the family which is where our identity mostly comes from i think um i have great hope in this um you know the loss that we do suffer for people who can't see themselves in the templates we have in the church. If we can keep doing this kind of work with single people, I mean, perhaps we can not lose each other. Perhaps we can hold on to each other a, a little more, no matter what choices we make. I don't know. That's me getting like the Sunday school lesson moral here at the end. Nothing, <laughs> but um, you know, I'm I'm a mom of a gay boy, and I have this hope. Um, yeah, uh, Ryan and Wes reactions to William's story if you have them 
Um, going, I can go first. Uh, I what I really enjoyed, loved about your piece is that what I should say is the way that it, the way that it moves deeper and deeper into the interiority of you know the way that uh, it's set up, like you were saying, is this exploration of of loneliness and. I felt like there was a lot of times where the story could have pulled out into some kind of plot that just kept on burrowing as it were deeper and deeper to the consciousness. And it, it, it has this really nice linchpin stylistically with the, the older organ player woman too, right? Giving these lessons and you bounced back and forth between that and these, like, like you were saying, these weird angels, which I'm actually really glad that you left them kind of on the, the periphery as this sort of mysterious mystical thing um not that they you know that they didn't i i i can't remember the line exactly but i just love it, it, the line that had um, they didn't do anything right they were just there and whispering mm-hmm. it's like I, I i felt that like really palpable in a in a spiritual sense that you feel pressed up and close to something divine but you have no clue whatsoever what it's actually saying and that's hollowing out in a lot of ways um and just amplifies the loneliness so yeah i I love the voice of the character and the way that you explored loneliness i thought it was um i thought it was really really great the the restraint the the narrative restraint that you had was just really phenomenal thanks i um yeah i was struck we've we've already kind of said this but i'm going to say it explicitly by these uh these the stories from the three of us, and then also the the story by Phyllis uh, Barber, about how once you arrive at the at the at the point of view, and the structure, how much more interesting and powerful and resonant the stories can be, and I think that's what marks all four of these stories. Um, is 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 just a really nicely honed structure and 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 point of view that, that then. That, that then allows the author to really kind of unleash some of the beautiful um, metaphors and and sentences and details um, and voice, um, so that so that so that, that that it that you feel like you're experiencing something that isn't as as Janice pointed out, the kind of like okay, here is the tale told in terms of realism of the plight of the um, modern Mormon male or whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, yes, that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have maybe a question that is uh, adjacent. I'll, I'll just start by saying I, I, I appreciate the, I think to have a magical element in a story like this that is so based in the real experience of people, of a, of a protagonist, tonally to be so seamless, I thought that was beautiful. And, and those descriptions and the, the fluidity of those angels, I think is uh, perfect. So, um, my, my question is, and I don't know how to phrase this, but these stories are all very more like steeped in Mormonism. And I think a, a background and a relationship with the Mormon faith is offers deeper insight to these stories. Do you feel, do you feel that this story is, I guess, where does Mormonism relate to this story for you? Is it, do you feel like Mormonism is a, is a method of achieving sort of a, a larger theme or idea or concept, or do you feel like this story is a exploration of Mormonism specifically? That's a, a great question that I ask about everything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, 
So I I guess what I'd say is that I'm a big believer that, um, and it's probably because I, you know, I didn't find, I didn't really find Mormon literature until I was in my early 20s. I, I think that's true of maybe, maybe most people. Um, you know, I'd read a couple of things in high school. Um, and, and also I read kind of, I didn't really have any strong reading mentors, uh, I guess, I guess until I, I hit the structure of, 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 of college again. And so I, I kind of grew up reading equally literary fiction and sometimes even like experimental literary fiction, literary fiction and, and, um, and genre fiction, especially science fiction and fantasy, but even romance and some of it very pulpy and some of it more literary. And so, and so I don't know that I can understand other people's reading protocols. <laughs> and so for me, it's always, an ex- with my Mormon stuff, it's always a specific exploration of Mormonism, but it's also always intended to be uh, an exploration that um, that if you're willing to to come in with sort of a more, maybe a more science fictional or more genre um, and or literary reading protocol and, and kind of go with it, that, that also hopefully there's something universal and, and interesting to be garnered beyond that as well is I guess what I'd say because it's it's weird I don't know and I think that's something that's interesting about um, not just Ryan and Wes but a lot of the other authors um, that are writing right now they're active um, Louisa Perkins and and Steve Peck also come to mind that 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 yes there is this weirdness that comes into play and there is this Mormonism that comes into play um but it's 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 a byproduct, I think, of 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 what these authors are interested in, and less about a, an almost like where you would get kind of in the 1980s, where it's like, okay, we are in dialogue with what Eugene England has said, and and we are we are doing Mormon literature, right? Um, and I, I I just I don't see. Are, um, are, are are currently active authors, at least most of them, really at all that interested in that, even though some of us certainly kind of know that history and, 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 and have, read, have read a lot of that. It's just not it's just not what we're interested in. I think the era, to be frank, of, quote, faithful realism is over, which doesn't mean there aren't, aren't, aren't Mormons who are active in the LAS church or, and are interested in that, that experience specifically, um, uh, who 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 aren't writing from that point of view or even writing towards that audience? It's just that, in terms of the kind of this notion of of creating a specific Zion that is delineated by kind of the 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 nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties conception of Mormon literature is something that any of us are are really interested in because. Because we've grown up with a, a different church, and and uh, and in eras where the distinctions between high and low art and genre fiction, literary fiction, and and um, weird fiction, experimental fiction are all kind of just blurred together, I, I think. But that's just my my experience and kind of what I've observed from the authors that I've read who are currently writing. And Ryan, you don't write like in the, the Mormon fiction world so much. Do you have anything to say about this? 
Uh, probably. I don't know how intelligent <laughs> it'll sound. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if it's dumb. Don't worry. Go ahead. No, I've, I'm all, be yourself. Be yourself. I've all, well, I've always felt like in a weird place um, with Mormonism in general. I mean, and this isn't like a huge thing, but it's just an example. I mean, I grew up in California, and so I was always labeled by the Utah Mormons as like a California Mormon. You know, like we, we weren't, we weren't Mormon enough, you know, when I would enter, when I'd go to Utah, most of my extended family lives in Utah and it was just like, oh, you know, you're California Mormons, you're not real Mormons, you know, you're sort of these apostate kind of things. And, you know, just even the spaces that I grew up in, um, in elementary school and middle school, you know, Mormonism was kind of this weird space for me amongst friends and I had friends at, at school. So I think like a lot of that influenced the way that when I started writing seriously, I kind of kept Mormonism on periphery. Like I I'm I often say for anyone who uh grew up in the church, you know, or has multi-generational Mormon family, I feel like there's no way that you cannot be Mormon. Right? Like it's there's there's something completely embedded, like even if you, you know, uh step away from faith or leave entirely there's still this part of Mormonism that I feel like is just clenched onto your soul in some way. Like it's just, um, so like to me, like Mormonism is always there in the background. It's always been there in the background. If I look back at like some of the oldest stuff, when I started writing seriously, like 20 something years ago, I can still see like the little echoes, you know, almost like little Mormon Easter eggs that I'd like hit in, in, in the work, but it was, it, it's not, it hasn't been until recently, probably the last three or four years, that I've felt like I could claim that identity in fiction, but I felt like I, I needed to stake some kind of, not a position, position's not right, but um, that I needed to explore it more. So I'd have writing that, you know, like what I submitted to dialogue that's that requires a kind of deeper understanding of Mormonism. Like Wes, like you were talking about, I, I think like if a, if a non-Mormon reader came to my piece, that they, they get lost in a lot of the references and maybe some like the the, the weirdness of it too would, would just sort of blow over, you know, like um, like the moment where the guy's talking about swinging the sword of labor, for example, like yeah. well, one outside of Mormonism, I'd be like, huh, oh, you know, but you know, hopefully, you know, Mormons are like, oh, okay, yeah, we got that fault, you know, or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's it's just been recently that I've become a lot more interested in trying to push some of that peripheral Mormonism in my work more into the center of it. I mean, it's something I've been doing um, with the collection of stories that I've been working on and that I, you know, sort of making its way in the trying to get published world right now. This other collection I've been doing is is it, it pushing more in that direction of how can I explore Mormonism for a broader aud- audience? Right. And we did want to hear before we finish up about the future plans that the three of you each have. So um, just can you announce that book like in a way that we can cut it in and just kind of elegantly talk about it, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, so it's, oh gosh, it is, it's, it's another, it's just another collection of short stories. Um, it's called Salt Folk. Um, and awesome. About it, it, it's the way that I frame it is it is uh, a speculative history of Utah past, present, and future. So it has like 
stuff from 19th century. Um, there's like a found manuscript kind of thing. And then there's just all sorts of stories, like a, like a kind of sideways present of Utah. Um, there's a lot of, um, I didn't realize this until late in the process. Um, there's a lot of uh, climate fiction kind of stuff in it. You know, it, it's framed with a lot of uh, sort of, the original title before I, I changed it was Jesus Wants Me for a Catastrophe. So, and then, and then I changed the title because I got some suggestions from editors, like, no one's going to read that book. And so I said, okay, what else, what else could I do with it? Um, so, yeah, it's sort of catastrophic uh, climate fiction, short stories. Um, yeah, sorry. That's going to be like a totally botched thing that you're going to like, good luck editing that until like, uh, <laughs> Has it found a home yet? Or are you still editing it? Or like, what stage is it at? Um, it has been a finalist for four different contests, but just this week I got a publisher that wants to publish it. So I haven't, I haven't signed anything yet or no. So I'm hopeful. I got fingers crossed. I got to see details of the contract and stuff, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Send it to us to review when it's ready, for sure. Absolutely. Wes, do you have anything underway or plans for the future in, in art? Yeah, I uh, I believe that Alison Brimley has been published in Dialogue before. We did the MFA BYU together, and we sell me once a week. Um, so we're both working on Mormon adjacent novels right now, and hopefully those will uh, be written and published someday. <laughs> awesome. So is that like um, uh, more of this kind of fantasy, epic, mythic kind of tone, or something more realistic? Yeah, I, I not to be too long-winded, but uh, I watched Under the Banner of Heaven, uh, the the Hulu series, and you know, this is cliche, but Toni Morrison says to write the book you want to read, and right. I watched that series, and I was like, this isn't bad. Like there, there's real, there's real fodder here and there's real soil for rich stories and this is not it. So, um, yeah, I'm interested, I'm interested in the idea of a religion that is true and people who still have to just determine whether or not they, if it, it works for them. So cool. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And William, you must have a hundred things on the go. <laughs> um, so, yes, um, I'm trying to think, okay, so here's, I think here's what the, what, what the plan is and, and, and I probably should, should say this out loud, but guess, but what, whatever I'm in control, I am planning on self-publishing a, uh, uh, a novelette called the unseating of Dr. Smoot. It is another, from the point of view of a female academic who goes to Utah to have a quasi job interview with, uh, UVU and also give a presentation at BYU. Um, and then um, there is... What's UVU? Utah Valley University. Sorry, I, I'm using acronyms. Um, and then it is sort of a, a cousin to um, my Mormon Lit Lab book mentoring novel, which um, will either be published before or after that, after the unseating of Dr. Smoot, probably after. Um, called the courtship of Elder Cannon, which is about a um, a general authority who um, who is widowed and who gets set up um, 
uh, by an apostle and the apostle's wife with a um, professor at um, at um, the University of Utah, and they begin courting. Um, and so it's basically two novels, or well, one is a short novel and the other is a novelette about um, Mormon liberals and <laughs> the 21st century and um, uh, and the experience for somewhat older uh, Mormons as well. So hopefully um, at least one of the, those this year will, will be, I'll, I'll self-publish and then the other one will probably come out next year. Great. Lots to look forward to. And thanks so much. I was really uh, happy to discover the two of you I didn't know and, and happy to find that, you know, the blind story I was enjoying so much with someone I was already a fan of. So thanks so much. Send us your work in the future. That's not like a, an editorial letter cliche. I really need it. <laughs> so keep writing and keep writing for me. Uh, thank you so much. Welcome to Bristlecombe Firesides, casual conversation around a virtual fireside where we discuss faith, the earth, the universe, and everything. We are your hosts, Abby and Madison. The central question we ask each other, as well as poets, artists, activists, and other guests around our virtual fireside, is what does it mean to belong to the earth? So if you've ever wondered how to reground your faith and spiritual practice in the stuff of the earth, this is the podcast for you. Catch up on previous seasons by subscribing to Bristlecone Firesides on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. From the Aspen Mountains, Juniper Forests, Red Rock Deserts, and Salty Lakes of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to find yourself in the family of the earth. Dialogue Podcast Network.